This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. With the election due to be called at any moment, Prime Minister Scott Morrison is facing an avalanche of attacks, some from within his own party. With multiple Liberal MPs complaining about his conduct and labelling him a bully. An autocrat, a bully who has no moral compass. The, the ruthlessness and the bullying, the lack of respect, I think, for his position. All of which Morrison has emphatically denied. Well, it's untrue. It's completely untrue. So, what are these allegations? And how could they affect Morrison's standing in Canberra and across the country heading into this election? Today, a pre-election uprising against Scott Morrison. It's Thursday, the 7th of April. Morning, Murph. Thank you for coming in for us. That is all right, darling. We are absolutely fine. Catherine Murphy is Guardian Australia's political editor. So, Murph, we are on the absolute tippy-toe, the precipice of an election being called. How would you describe the final days of the 46th Parliament of Australia, especially when it comes to Prime Minister Scott Morrison? Well, you'd have to say very difficult. Uh, Scott Morrison had one objective in the final sitting week of the 46th Parliament, and that was to deliver a budget and have the budget dominate the news cycle. As we've discussed before, uh, it was this massive cash splash budget. The government wanted that as the springboard to the election contest, and uh, and the Prime Minister was whacked every which way by events for mm. much of the week. So not a great week for the PM, it must be said. Right, we've just seen a flood of comments about the Prime Minister's character over the past week, and it all really kicked off on budget night fairly late with a certain Liberal senator making some comments. Can you take us back to that night, Murph? (laughs) Well, as we left to go and get some dinner quite late on budget night, uh, so that's Tuesday night, we happened upon the Senate adjournment debate. Uh, Senator Ferravanti-Wells. And that's where Senator Fiavanti Wells, uh, recently relegated to an unwinnable spot on the New South Wales Senate ticket. Mr Acting Deputy President, given the events and outcomes of the dodgy pre-selection where I lost by a handful of votes last Saturday, my time in this place will finish on 30 June 2022. Tipped what's uh, politely known as a bucket over the Prime Minister. Morrison is a product of the left. He is adept at running with the foxes and hunting with the hounds, lacking the moral compass and having no conscience. So as we went out to grab a bite in a restaurant close to Parliament House, my two colleagues, Josh Butler and Sarah Martin, were frantically filing this story. And as I left the building, actually, I bumped into Senator Fiavanti Wells and I said to her, what on earth did you say at the adjournment? And she smiled at me uh, in a saintly fashion and said, enjoy it over your Wheaties. (laughs) What did the senator say, Murph? What's the gist of what she said? Well, basically, look, there is no love lost between Conchetta Fiavanti-Wells and the Prime Minister. There's been significant differences of opinion over many years and they're in different parts of the Liberal Party factions and I think uh, it's fair to say there's a personality clash between Mm. them as well. So let's just be clear about all of that. In terms of what Senator Fiavanti-Wells said... Morrison is not interested in the rules-based order. 
It is his way or the highway, an autocrat, a bully who has no moral compass. She basically characterised the Prime Minister as an autocrat and a bully. In my public life, I have met ruthless people. Morrison tops the list, followed closely by Hawke. Morrison is not fit to be Prime Minister. And she basically then unfurled the greatest hits of Scott Morrison's past, including uh, revisiting the controversial pre-selection in the seat of Cook in 2007. Right, so she unearthed some allegations that we have heard before, they have been reported on before, but possibly in some greater detail about Morrison's entry into politics, really. What did she say about the pre-selection battle that happened in 2007? To set the scene, uh, Scott Morrison in 2007 sought pre-selection in the Sydney seat of Cook. Uh, He wasn't the only person obviously contesting that seat. Morrison's principal rival was a chap by the name of Michael Toke. He's a Maronite Christian. Uh, Ethnically, he's of Lebanese background. I mean, we should be clear, Cook is in Cronulla. And uh, just again, you've got to cast your mind back to the times of 2007. So we were basically only just a couple of years past those dreadful scenes, the riots at Cronulla. Mm. They were, you know, in the very recent past. And in Sydney, there was the cultural backwash of that event had quite a long tail. Uh, So anyway, uh, Senator Fia Vanti-Wells in her speech to Parliament said, When Morrison made his run for the seat of Cook, there were several hopefuls, including Toke, Fletcher and Coleman. Toke won the ballot on the first round with 84 votes. Morrison got eight votes. That uh, basically Toke won the initial ballot for the seat by a landslide. But then in the background, uh, Morrison or his proxies began uh, making alleged comments with racial overtones about Mm. Toke. This dossier of anecdotes was weaponised and leaked to the media to the point where Toke's reputation was destroyed. And uh, she also said in that contribution to the Senate... I'm advised that there are several statutory declarations to attest to racial comments made by Morrison at the time that we can't have a Lebanese person in Cook. That uh, contemporaries at that time, people who had been involved and around that pre-selection, had signed uh, statutory declarations to that effect, uh, suggesting that Morrison had weaponised Toke's ethnicity in that contest. And then Senator Fiavanti-Wells alleged that the Liberal Party state executive then decided not to endorse uh, Toke as the candidate for that seat. So just to clarify what's being alleged here, the senator is essentially saying that our current prime minister used fear-mongering around religion and around race to win his seat in 2007. That's the substance of these statements, to be blunt. Has anyone been able to confirm these allegations? Yes, since that extraordinary speech in the Senate, uh, we've had subsequent media reporting in both the Saturday paper and in the nine newspapers going to some of the detail alleged in those statutory declarations. There was a claim that Morrison had called Toke a Muslim, 
uh, and I'm, I'm using that pronunciation advisedly because the spelling was M-O-S-L-E-M. Um, the stat decks also alleged that Morrison had told the pre-selectors that uh, the Liberal Party couldn't afford to have a person of Lebanese background in that seat. Mm. Uh, so then uh, on Sunday, Toke himself broke a, a very long silence. Uh, to my recollection, he's not actually ever spoken publicly about these events. He said that pre-selectors had told him that Morrison was adamant and explicit that a candidate of Lebanese heritage could not hold the seat of Cook, especially after the Cronulla riots. So Toke went on to make a bunch of comments to mm. the 10 network uh, subsequent to those newspaper reports. Do you think the Prime Minister's racist? Well... It's hard not to, isn't it? He alleged uh, that the Prime Minister had... Certainly used race in the past. ...against him in the past, and he branded Scott Morrison a liar. Mm. And what do you make of the Prime Minister's denial? Mm, not very credible. Do you think he's lying? I think it's pretty obvious he is. Um, and he's got form on that. Just ask Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull, Emmanuel Macron. And also said that the Prime Minister didn't deserve his high office. What has Morrison said in response to all of this? Well, look, the sort of interesting thing about the new development is is Toke himself speaking out. Versions of this story, Laura, have been around for many years because it was a very controversial pre-selection and some of this mm. was, or, or versions of this, let's say, were reported in real time. In terms of what the Prime Minister has said, well, he said at the time and he has maintained consistently ever since that uh, that none of this is true. Well, all I can say is that it's just simply untrue. And these are quite malicious and bitter slurs, which are deeply offensive. And I reject them out absolutely. He could lose Cook because people thought Michael Toki was a Muslim? No. He didn't say those words? He never... No. You those... never said he couldn't be trusted because of his Lebanese background? No. So why Where's the story coming out? You have to ask them. And he's suggested that... People will throw all sorts of mud at you, particularly when you get up close to an election, and they'll make all sorts of things up. You know, basically this is all coming to the fore now on the precipice of the election uh, because people have access to grind or, or political scores to settle. They have decided to cast all sorts of slings and arrows at me. You know, in politics, particularly if you're Prime Minister, you've got to have thick skin, you've got to have broad shoulders. Right, against a lot of people coming out to speak against Morrison, has anyone kind of backed up Morrison's versions of events? Yes, yes. Uh, the Various people have mobilised. Uh, Scott Morrison's predecessor in the seat of Cook, Bruce Baird, uh, who uh, was a primary witness to some of these events at least, uh, has backed mm. Scott Morrison's adamant claims that he didn't do that. Uh, he worked for me for two years when I was the Tourism Council. Uh, I never heard him use any racist terms, nor did I ever see him bullying anyone. Various front benches have obviously mobilised too. Barnaby Joyce was certainly one of those people. When you get these accusations right on the eve of an election, they can wrap them up in uh, political hit. You're actually using racism as your weapon. To uh, back in the Prime Minister and to suggest that some of this is politically motivated, that it's score settling, uh, that basically it's a result of the instability in the New South Wales uh, division of the Liberal Party because of pre-selections mm. uh, and uh, including, you know, frontbencher of Lebanese heritage, Michael Sukar, who has uh, backed in Morrison very forcefully. 
So Murph, these allegations alone, coming so close to an election kickoff, would be damaging for anyone. But Fear Vanty Wells and Toke aren't the only ones who have spoken out about Morrison in the past week, correct? Uh, no, that's that's true. The, the whole uh, debacle over the pre-selection has only been one element of the attacks on Morrison, uh, and and also Senator Fiavanti Wells's criticisms of Morrison went beyond the pre-selection. It went to, I suppose, uh, the sort of essence of character. Mm. We've also seen uh, the New South Wales Liberal MP Catherine Cusack in a, an opinion piece for Guardian Australia, and then in a bunch of subsequent interviews, uh, went to this issue of character. I can't vote for Scott Morrison full stop at the next federal election. Backed in Senator Fiavanti Wells's assessment of, of Morrison as a political operator and a human. Mm. And I use those exact same words as Connie, that he has totally lost his moral compass. And then absolutely went to town on uh, the Prime Minister's lack of responsiveness for flood victims uh, in northern New South Wales. It's unbelievable that any political leader would behave like this in relation to flood victims. So it's been quite the pile-on. And then Morrison addressed Cusack's comments on the 7.30 report. The discontent around the floods response, the discontent around the pre-selection, there's a lot of noise within your own ranks. Well, I'm very determined, Lee, and I'm very determined to ensure that the government can get on with the important job that it has. And I have flood response. I mean, $2.1 billion has been committed into the New South Wales flood response. Over a billion of that has already been paid out the door. Now, I find in these situations when people have an axe to grind, particularly on the eve of election, you know, that, that is what happens in politics. But, if you but talk the about... facts tell a different story about what we've done. Right. So that's the main thrust of the criticism from within the Liberal Party. But there's also been some strong comments from the crossbench as well. There are a couple of other supporting players who poked their heads up. Uh, Zali Stegel, during an appearance on the ABC's Q&A program, suggested that she would be far more likely to back a minority coalition government after the federal election, if that's where we end up, if Morrison wasn't the mm -hmm. leader, which, again, is quite an incendiary thing to say in the current uh, climate, also, after Senator Fiavanti Wells's intervention, uh, a number of the senator's crossbench colleagues also uh, came forth to basically reinforce her point about Morrison behaving like a bully behind the scenes. Jackie Lambie was one, Pauline Hanson was another. So, yes, it's been a big mm. one. Right. So, you've got a bunch of the crossbench, who could be important in any future government, signalling that they don't really want to work with Morrison or they don't really want to support him. And you've got another member of Morrison's own party labelling him a bully here. None of these people are in opposition. <laughs> I just think it's worth pointing that out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I'm glad you pointed that out uh, because bear in mind that the, this sort of sequence of negative character assessments about the Prime Minister mm. are from within the Liberal Party. These are blue-on-blue blue attacks. And this is even before 
Labor's election advertising starts. Now, obviously, the Labor Party will want to put a positive face to the Australian community. I'm not suggesting that our televisions are going to be sort of assailed by a barrage of negative advertising, you know, wall to wall during the election campaign, Mm. but I guarantee there will be negative ads and I guarantee there will be negative ads about the Prime Minister and many, well, all of these colleagues, basically Liberal colleagues and some important kingmakers in the parliament have done Mm. Labor's advertising work for them. Uh, Labor people don't need to front these ads. There's now a succession of people on camera saying very negative things about the Prime Minister. And then there's a bunch of other colleagues too who have said negative things about the Prime Minister over this term in government. So I think the Labor ads write themselves. Next, what this conflict could mean for Scott Morrison and the election. making a new Guardian podcast to keep you up to date during the federal election campaign. It's called Campaign Catch-Up and it's hosted by me, Jane Lee, together with Catherine Murphy and the rest of the politics team at Guardian Australia. Each day you'll hear the top stories and analysis from the team on what it all means. Even if people think you're a really nasty piece of work, you won't care if your objective is served. We seem to be having these problems repeatedly and there doesn't seem to be any lessons learnt from when we've previously been unprepared. It'll be out at 4pm every day of the campaign. Hear it on Full Story or search for Campaign Catch-Up wherever you get your podcasts. Have you seen this before, Murph? This level of animosity coming from within the House within his own party, the ruling party, so close to an election. It's pretty unusual, but it it is a bit redolent of the Rudd-Gillard period, Mm. although at that time (laughs) Kevin Rudd wasn't dropping bombs in the House adjournment or or Julia Gillard returning fire. I think there was was less people fronting cameras and uh, launching character assassinations on the Prime Minister at that point in time. Mm. Um, A lot of that was conducted furtively behind the scenes, but certainly the scale of this in terms of blue-on-blue attacks and in the full light of day, this is pretty extraordinary. Murph, what is the general sentiment about Morrison in the Coalition and the Liberal Party? The Prime Minister is not widely liked in politics. He has a very tight group of core supporters uh, who are intensely loyal to him, and we've seen some of that play out in the context of this New South Wales pre-selection stoush. Beyond that, he's not well-liked. He is sort of ruthlessly transactional. He's not into sort of chewing the fat or having deep relationships with colleagues. It's about a sequence of transactions, and also he can be very brusque. Mm. You know, he can be very direct. He can shut people down in an argument. We need to contextualise that slightly, that there's a lot of characters in this line of work. You know, people aren't wandering around braiding each other's hair and giving each other hugs in politics. That's just not how it works. But certainly Morrison has long had that reputation. People don't like him. They don't necessarily trust him. He can be short, sharp, and not everybody wants a conversation to be short and sharp. 
Is there any indication that the coalition now views Morrison as a bit of a liability in the lead up to this election? I think there are a lot of indications of that. Doesn't mean that the coalition can't win this election. I think there's every prospect the coalition will will win this election. But they certainly have to tiptoe around the candidate. That's the difficulty now. I suppose we could sort of express it most clearly to the listeners by saying that Scott Morrison is the Bill Shorten of the current campaign. There were a lot of people, for whatever reason, who were very negative about the former Labor leader prior to the 2019 election. And it is very difficult anywhere in the country to find somebody with a positive word to say about the Prime Minister. We see this manifesting in a bit of strategic distancing by Liberal candidates. I wrote a column this week about Bridget Archer, the Tasmanian Liberal. Bridget Archer is the Federal Member for the Tasmanian seat of Bass. Welcome to RM Breakfast. Oh, good morning, Patricia. Now, she's a very forthright person. She's inclined to speak her mind. But I think her language is, given that she holds the most marginal seat in the country, she is absolutely the litmus test of uh, how the campaign, the Liberal campaign, is trying to deal with its Morrison problem. She distances herself from the Prime Minister. She doesn't disavow him. She doesn't say he's a dreadful person. What she says is, I'm your local representative. Judge me. No matter which party is in government or which person is Prime Minister, your local representation will matter. This is not a referendum locally on Scott Morrison's record. This is a referendum locally on my record. Mm. I am happy to stand on my own record. I have stood up for uh, what I think is right. I have been outspoken in that where it is necessary. And, you know, I would encourage people to consider that because irrespective of who the Prime Minister is, and in this case it's Scott Morrison, my interests will still lie with the people of Bath. And if you like what I've done, send me back to Canberra because the only people who can take Morrison out of public life, the only people who can vote him out are the residents of Cook. Mm. So, you know, don't do a proxy thing with Morrison with me. If you like me, send me back. That sort of permission to distance, I suspect we will see in contests all around the country as we move into the election proper. So, Murph, considering everything you've just told me, if the coalition loses this election in the next month or so, do you think we'll be looking back and seeing Morrison as a kind of deciding factor in that loss? In the event the coalition doesn't prevail, then yes. I suspect, uh, you know, if if we're talking about a campaign review in six or eight months' time on the other side of the election, Morrison's standing with voters, I suspect, will be nominated as a factor that was difficult for the campaign to manage. Now, MPs tell me Morrison is received differently in different parts of the country. People in the city say at the moment it's very bad. People say Morrison's still tracking reasonably well in outer suburban contests and also in the regions. So it's a bit different depending on where you are in the country. But certainly I think in the event the coalition loses in the wash-up, there will be a close analysis of the role of the lead candidate. And even though Australia doesn't have a presidential system, most people view elections as an opportunity to elect prime ministers. And if they are repelled by Morrison, well, then I think that'll be a pretty fascinating campaign review, won't it, Laura? Mm. Murph, as you've said, Morrison says this is all par for the course. This is just people airing their grievances before the election. But I'm wondering if what we're seeing 
in this stand against Morrison as something that is beyond this short-term strategic interest for some people, for example, QSAC. And it's actually a broader pushback against a certain type of politics, one that is dominated by allegations of bullying. Is that too much of a stretch, do you reckon? No, it's no, it's not at all. And look, we do need to understand that some of the people levelling allegations at the Prime Minister have complicated or quite negative histories with him. But in terms of that broader thing that you point to, some of the character assessments and the accompanying debate from them do point to this fatigue, this sort of cultural and societal fatigue with standover politics, bully boy politics, transactional politics. And again, around the country, this is a sentiment you hear quite a lot. That's why people are looking at micro-party alternatives, why some people are flirting with voting independence. There, there is an appetite to sort of step outside politics as usual and do something else, which is a drag on both of the major parties in this contest because people are seem to be searching for something else, something a bit less transactional and a bit more meaningful. Catherine Murphy, Guardian Australia's political editor. Since recording this episode, Michael Toke has made new claims on Channel 10's The Project about the pre-selection process in 2007 and why he eventually threw his support behind Morrison as a candidate. Why would your voting block go in behind Morrison? Uh, you really want to know the answer to that? Well, I'm asking the question. Well, that figuratively put a political gun to my head. If I didn't withdraw from the pre-selection, and throw my votes in behind Morrison. And is that what you did? That's what I did. I was coerced by senior party officials. He also spoke about alleged backgrounding against him in recent weeks. People associated with the Prime Minister were circulating, were trying to get a story going, that I was associated with neo-Nazis. He also claims he has the support of a current unnamed Cabinet Minister in speaking out. I've got text messages from a Cabinet Minister telling me, I believe you and do what you need to do, just be careful. According to Channel 10, Morrison repeated his previous denials and declined to provide further comments on these allegations. To get the latest updates on this evolving story, head to theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria and Jake Morecambe. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannan. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Mattignoni, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay? Catch you tomorrow.